Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry at Spurgeon College and Midwestern Seminary and general editor of For the Church. These letters are personal and yet applicable to us all, with child or without, brown or white, married or single. We may not all understand what it is to be her, a black mother with a brown boy, but we all understand what it is like to love, to care so deeply for someone that your affection becomes words, and these words a means to encourage, teach, remind, warn, and inspire. But I personally believe that Jasmine's words aren't just an expression of her love for Wynn, but the evidence of her love for you, the reader. If that weren't the case, she could have easily written each chapter by hand, bound them with string, and set them somewhere safe for Wynn to read when he is able. But instead, here they are, typed on a page, bound in a book, and in your hands to read right now. Her words to Wynn are just as much for you as they are for him. That's love. Those words come from author and poet Jackie Hill Perry in the foreword to a new book by today's guest, In Mother to Son, Jasmine Holmes shares a series of powerful letters to her young son. These are about her journey as an African-American Christian and what she wants her son to know as he grows and approaches the world as a black man. Holmes deals head-on with issues ranging from discipleship and marriage to biblical justice. She invites us to read over her shoulder as she reminds Wynn that his identity is firmly planted in the person and work of Jesus Christ even when the topic is one as emotionally charged as race in America. Jasmine Holmes has written for the Gospel Coalition, Desiring God, Christianity Today, and The Witness. She is also a contributing author for a couple of books, and she teaches humanities in a classical Christian school in Jackson, Mississippi. Jasmine Holmes, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I've got to ask how um, how things are going in Mississippi right now. What's the, the state of the state in relation to COVID and all that sort of thing? We are definitely one of the, um, I think they call them hotspot states. Yeah. Um, we have some of the most cases, which is not surprising because as much as I've grown to love Mississippi, we are last in everything unless <laughs> it's something not great and then we're first. Oh, <laughs> no. But, you know, it's it, it has its. It has its beauty in other ways, um, but we're doing really well. I actually, I have asthma, and my husband has a grandmother in her 90s that we see all the time. So we've been very, like, studious about yeah. being quarantined. So, you know, we haven't really seen the effects much personally. Yeah, very careful. What What is your school, the school that you teach at, what are they planning to do? As, as we record this, we're probably a couple of weeks or a few weeks from schools opening back up. When people hear this, school will already be going. But I'm wondering what you guys are planning to do. Yeah, we're planning to go back um, like normal. I teach at a hybrid school, so yeah. um, we only meet on – well, the kids meet on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. But I only teach on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So, um, And we have really small class sizes. Like the whole school is only about 250 students. Okay. So all of the recommendations for – um, limiting the spread at school, like going to school less, having smaller class sizes, all that stuff is already kind of in place at my school. Yeah. So we're going to give it a try and see. And I'm hearing that there's studies that say that like children under six don't really carry it or get it that often. So <laughs> okay. my kids are four and 18 months old. So I'm just like, all right, studies. 
Hopefully you guys are correct. <laughs> All right, science. <laughs> okay. Come, come through for once off for us, science. Please. <laughs> Uh, my daughter attends a uh, classical Christian school here in Kansas city as well. And they're planning to go back, but it's a similar thing. It, it's not, uh, they're a little larger, I think, than, um, than yours, but, but not real big. So I, you know, they have small classes and they're going to be doing, you know, the distancing thing and all that sort of deal, but they're going back as normal and they only meet, uh, three days a week as, as mm-hmm. well. So, you know, we're kind of, you know, praying that everything works out, um, there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you um, about your new book with IVP, Mother to Son. Why don't we just begin by you telling me um, what was the inspiration behind the book? What what prompted you to write it? Uh, this is one of my favorite stories. My, I have a mentor. Uh, her name is Karen Ellis. People know who she is. If they don't, they absolutely should. And I was talking to Karen about um, book projects. I had been approached by a couple of publishers and they were asking, like, do you have any ideas for future books? And I thought that my first book was going to be about womanhood because that's just what I had been thinking about. I had been writing a column about it. I had just been really interested in writing and talking about um, biblical womanhood cultural aspects of womanhood, all that stuff. But when I actually sat down to think about what I wanted to write in that moment, I realized that I was not ready to write a book about womanhood. And I talked to Karen and I was just like, I just don't know what to write. And she said, well, what do you care about? And I kind of started going list the things I care about. And she said, you know, why don't you just use your inspiration? My oldest son's name is Wynn and Karen is the kind of person who makes puns cool. So <laughs> okay. I was like, I was like, okay, inspiration, cool. She's like, yeah, letters to your son. She was like, I don't know what about, but she's like, whatever's important to you. And so the idea, literally, I, I got the email from a publisher that day. And then that afternoon, I sat down and I was like, I think I want to write these letters to my son uh, about race and justice, kind of like ta Coates' book, yeah. but with more hope, <laughs> more gospel, <laughs> right. um, less nihilistic, hopefully. And uh, it just kind of took off from there. Yeah, you know, it's it's um, interesting that you mentioned Tanahasi Coast because I I read Between the World and Me a couple of years ago and was just struck. First of all, the beauty of the language. He's, he's such a great writer, but the mm. the second was was how there were levels of continuity with my experience and m- multiple levels of discontinuity with my experience as a white man, of course, reading uh, his yeah. his book written ostensibly to his son. Uh, it's not really packaged as letters per se, but he's writing as if he's speaking to his son. Mm-hmm. And there were things, of course, that are, you know, somewhat universal. Um, but then there were things that were just very specific and very particular. That was like, I, I was almost discomforting in the fact that you're kind of looking in. Yeah. But what what you mentioned about the hope factor <laughs> was one of those things where I just felt like he has such a great finger on the pulse of what's wrong. Yes. Um, and you know, and, and, and there's some, you know, I would say, I guess, you know, glimpses of optimism perhaps in the book or something like that, but, but -hmm. without the gospel, right. There's, there's not, um, you know, a view of the world of, you know, that the ark, you know, where it's bending, (laughs) is it going towards the glory of Christ or is it not? And so I'm grateful for a book like yours because I think, you know, to take a similar, not the same, but a similar approach and yet infuse it with biblical wisdom, I think could be so, so helpful. What do you see in the world that makes a book like this important or, or even necessary? 
In my own life, I have just had so many experiences with people in a relationship who want to understand how to approach talking about race and justice and identity. And of course, I wrote this book long before um, Ahmaud Arbery and George or George uh, Floyd died. Um, I wrote it a year before, a year and some change before. And when I wrote it, I knew that even though the issues at the time that I was writing it weren't the quote unquote hot button issues that were just constantly in the media at that time, as a black woman, whether or not the issues are in the media, they're still going on in my life. Right. And so I wanted to write words that would encourage my son someday, um, ostensibly, but also just like for the current climate, just to encourage the church to be able to talk about these issues with a love as tender as a mother has for her son. And I've had a lot of experiences in my life of people doing that well. And I've had a lot of experiences in my life of people not doing that well. And um, just wanted to share those for the edification of the body. Yeah. You know, I think something that you mentioned is really important too, because I think there are some who skeptically, maybe even someone listening to this episode, I don't know, who you may see, when they see the whole conversation, they see it as as new, and in some ways, the conversation as it stands is 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 new, I suppose. Right. But that the issues are invented that that is you know it's a it's a fad or it's you know driven by the media or or something like that. And I just think the historical you know you know perspective that view is so short sighted that they don't see um, that really what's different is the I mean to be blunt the amount of cameras we have. <laughs> around us right now, uh, for one thing. Um, but also I think, I think maybe there is kind of a generational change, um, that I'm somewhat optimistic about, you know, obviously, you know, people are sinners and, and need Christ. And so even our good motives or our good intentions are, are flavored by the fall. Um, and yet I, I do sense kind of in the younger generation, an, an openness to aspects of history that we, we felt maybe were disclosed, you know, um, uh, you know, covered or obscured for us, things that we should have seen, not that, you know, that we're, um, you know, not complicit in, in, in being blind to it, but that things are opening up a little bit more now where I think a book like yours could have a wider appeal than it might have perhaps, you know, 10 years or so ago. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One letter in 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 the book is titled um, "A Mother's Redemptive Blessing." What do you mean by that? But by the phrase uh, "a redemptive blessing," you're a mother's redemptive blessing. Well, for me, it's um, between both of my children. I had miscarriages, mm. so we I married my husband in. Um, we just had a whirlwind. Everything we met, um, and then a year later, we kind of saw each other again. In January, we were dating each other long distance by March. We were engaged by June. We got married by October, and we were pregnant by Thanksgiving. <laughs> there you go. So go get us. Yes, yes. It was just like a whirlwind year. And the way that it worked out was, you know, I saw my husband in January, and I thought, you know, he's kind of cute. God, like, maybe we can work something out. And then by October, we had had our first miscarriage. And so... Mm. By, um, I'm sorry, December. So it was just this huge, like, a, a big, changing, challenging year for a lot of reasons. And it was capped off with something that was really hard. And it took us um, a few months before I 
felt brave enough to like try again. And we got pregnant. We found out we were pregnant on our first anniversary and our first years of marriage were rough and rocky. Um, Surprise, surprise. We did not know each other that well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, marriage Um, will fix that. (laughs) Yes. So in, in so many ways, my firstborn son win was such a redemptive blessing because my only experience of motherhood before having him was loss and grief. I my only, you know, I'd only ever been pregnant one other time. I'd only ever been a mom one other time. And that was a baby that I lost. And so when just came in and was such a huge blessing um, to me as a mom to our marriage. And it was just the beginning of a really redemptive period for us as a family. That's really sweet. And, and, and special as well. We, um, between our firstborn and our thirdborn, we, uh, my wife miscarried as well. And mm. the, the pregnancy for our youngest, um, was really difficult. And, and even the birth was very difficult. We almost lost her at birth. And I just remember thinking, oh, oh Lord, please do not do this to us. Um, you know, again, at this moment, especially at this stage and, um, and just praying over her and, and she's finally healthy now. She's kind of a spitfire and, and her and we named her grace, it, you know, it's a similar concept of she's kind of, um, a redemption for, you know, the, the grief that we experienced through, um, through the miscarriage of that, you know, the loss of that child. So it, mm-hmm. it's sweet. And I understand seeing a child as, um, as a redemptive blessing. That's really neat. What else? Um, so in, in the book, you're writing to your son, what are some lessons you want him, you know, to learn? What's some of the wisdom that you're passing on? What would be some of the high notes of the things that you're sharing? Um, I think that the best way that I can like sum it up is I want my son to be as aware as possible of the history that he's inherited and this world that he's inherited and the ways and reasons why things are broken um, from the spiritual reason of just the fact that we're born in sin and shaped in iniquity and we break things. Um, But also to the, you know, historical reality of where we are in America and where we've come from. But in spite of knowing those things, I want him to be an optimist somebody who still sees glimpses of God's grace in relationships and particularly in relationships in the church. I want him to love the church well, even though sometimes when it comes to these issues, the church is going to hurt him. What should, um, what would, what should white readers uh, take away from the book? What do you hope that they would come away with um, having experienced or learned or what have you? So Chimamanda Adichie is one of my favorite authors, and she was actually one of the inspirations for writing the book in letter form. Um, She wrote a book to letter form in her niece, and it's really powerful, and love her TED Talks. Huge girl crush on Chimamanda, and she has a TED Talk um, that's called um, The Power of a Different Story, I think is what it's called. And basically, the entire point of the talk is that if you only hear one perspective, that's the only perspective that you're going to know, which sounds obvious, right? But I think so often we're so used to only hearing one side of the story and being content with that. In her case, the single story is this colonialist interpretation of her homeland in Nigeria and the way that people only have one wooden understanding of what it means to be African. In my case, and in my son's case, 
um, it's our history here in America and how a lot of people only have one interpretation of what it means to be black and American. And one of the things about living in majority culture is that you can go your entire life without ever really learning much about other types of people because Sometimes you're going to be in a room and those people are not going to be represented or sometimes you're going to be on staff and those people are not going to be re- represented. And so I think that the book offers an opportunity for people to understand um, a different perspective than the one that they've grown accustomed to. Um, and also to see that there's so many similarities of perspective when we are brothers and sisters in Christ. So to rejoice in those differences, but to see that ultimately those differences are, um, they pale in comparison to the sameness that we have in Jesus. What's encouraging you right now? What are some things as you look out, you know, there's so much cause for cynicism and um, and discouragement, whether it's, you know, just perusing social media or, you know, reading the news headlines or just seeing what the latest, you know, restrictions are from the government and all that sort of thing. But what's encouraging you? Where are you finding your, your sense of of your hope? What's grounding you right now? Um, my family, definitely. My boys, my husband. Uh, like I said, I Philip and I have been married for, it'll be six years in October. And we are just now hitting this spot in our marriage where we like understanding each other. And we, the other night I said, what's my love language? And he like, he told me, and then I was like, what's, he said, what's mine? I told him and we were like, we were right. We got it. <laughs> we understand each other. Uh, and so we're just getting to that. We're getting to a really great place in our marriage and we're really enjoying our kids and we're really enjoying our family. Um, so this pandemic has been hard for a lot of reasons, but it's brought all four of us closer together. And it's been a beautiful thing for us. Um, in the sense that we've really been blessed, you know, our finances haven't been hit by it. We've both been able to keep the same jobs and everything. Um, so it's been really good for the Holmeses and I don't take that for granted and I don't take that lightly. Um, but also outside of our immediate family, I have just been so encouraged by brothers and sisters in Christ in our community here in Mississippi. Um, we have lived here for almost four years now and it has finally become home for me. It's home for my husband. It's where he's from. Um, But just being surrounded by people who I I feel like my friends have read the book and they enjoyed it because they're my friends and it's great. But honestly, (laughs) they came from, they were already doing the things that I talk about in the book. They were already listening really well. They were already asking really good questions. They were already being quick to repent. And they were, you know, it, it just, these relationships have been to use the word again, so redemptive because I've had so many times in my life where, you know, I wasn't involved in relationships with people who wanted to understand me and wanted to um, rejoice in the fact that God made me a black woman and it's good. He did it on purpose. Um, But I've been surrounded by friends of all different ethnicities and backgrounds here in Jackson who um, just really, really want to understand those aspects that make me different. um, But also, just rejoice in the sameness that we have in Jesus. So it's been, it's been a really good season of seeing that take place for sure. What about generationally or culturally? Maybe this kind of, you know, dovetails with what you were just sharing um, in terms of community and, and so forth. But is there anything about kind of the rising generation or anything culturally? I mean, things are so chaotic right now, it seems, but is there anything encouraging you or giving you hope just as you look out at, um, you know, the wider church even? Yeah, I think that people are becoming more aware of 
our history and separating some of the trappings of American evangelicalism from actual biblical Christianity. I think that we've been steeped in our cultural mindset for so long that it's made us unable to look past it and to really prize what the Bible says as what the Bible says and not just how the Bible applies in our Western context. Um, I see people really, really striving to understand the word um, and not just through the lens of American exceptionalism. And that makes me really excited. Um, It makes me excited that we are finally turning our eyes to the church across the globe um, and not being so focused on church here and our problems here and our emphasis emphasis (laughs) here. Um, So yeah, those are just, those are two things. I mean, I, I do. So as a teacher, I work with, uh, I teach eighth grade and ninth grade and um, I'm 30. I just turned 30 this year. Uh, I I'm debating over whether or not I'm going to turn 30 again next year. Cause I didn't really use this one. <laughs> yeah. This but year's we'll a throwaway. You don't have to count this one. <laughs> what a year to turn 30. Come on. But um, I just turned 30, but I have a TikTok, even though I'm too old to have TikTok. <laughs> I, I'm too old. I know China is mining my information. I know how to live <laughs> off my phone. No. And so I watch, you know, all these young kids, um, which feels funny to say, but I think I'm old enough to say that, but all these young kids, you know, 16, 17, 18, and they're making all these like super political TikToks and they're talking about things in history and they're talking about things in society and, you know, all these things that I really think that at that age, I was not aware to the degree that they're aware. And that's exciting. Um, but also I feel this caution of like, man, it's so good that they're so aware, but like without Jesus, this knowledge is not going to do anything good. It's just going to continue to make people jaded. It's just going to continue to make people, you know, turn towards answers outside of the word. So I'm super encouraged in the broader sense at how young people are really just wanting to learn and know and understand. Um, I'm also very passionate about helping them know and understand in the context of knowing and understanding Jesus. You know, I think part of what you're describing is is the is itself the way of Jesus, isn't it? To be able to, um, and you know, you can't put someone else's skin on, um, but to listen well, to come near, to ha- have the right kind of empathy mm-hmm. and and an understanding of kind of getting outside of our own experience and um, the global uh, perspective, I think, is really fascinating because. As you know, mixed bag as as globalization itself is, the world has gotten smaller. But I think it it, it can be a help to the American church in particular to um, better cope with the decentering of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think for so long we've just sort of you know the American church has seen itself as the center of Christianity, right? And even as irreligiosity increases and and church you know, continues to decline. And, you know, I think there's causes for hope. Um, locally, I think that there are some, you know, some good uh, church planning movements and things going on. But the way, you know, the center of the church, um, you know, humanly speaking, is 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 Asian and African and increasingly Latin American. Mm-hmm. And the sooner we're able to, I think, open our eyes to that, um, I think not only um, will we be more comfortable in our own skin, if that makes sense, 
but also we see the beauty of Christ in that. We see the glory in Christ in the diversity of of the global church. So I you know, I think we're going through some some growing pains. A lot of it is is just because of our own sin and stubbornness. Mm-hmm. Um but the Lord is kind, isn't he? And he's gracious and 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 opening up some of these windows for us. And I I'm I'm grateful for your book. I think it'll be a um another one of those windows for um a lot of people. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for reading. Yeah, and thanks for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Hope you guys will be well over there in, in Jackson. Thank you so much for having me, and y'all stay safe. Yeah. We've been talking with Jasmine Holmes, author of the new book, Mother to Son, Letters to a Black Boy on Identity and Hope. It's published by IVP. It's available wherever good books are sold. As always, dear listener, if you enjoy the podcast, please share us with your friends. Give us a good review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.